Welcome to the Writer's Jihad. In Islam, jihad means the struggle for peace, the greatest of which is within ourselves. For most writers, we imagine that once we make it, we'll be at peace. But that's not true. The top professionals find peace as elusive as anyone else. The Writer's Jihad is a podcast series of interviews with writers at different points in their careers talking about the struggle for peace in their industry. Every award-winning professional began as an unpublished amateur. We all start at the same place. We all face the same struggles. And we shouldn't hide those struggles behind the mystique of the craft, nor the glamour of success. If we can help each other, we should. So today, I am talking with Adam Maxwell. Hello! (laughs) So Adam, why don't you introduce yourself? Well, yeah, I am Adam Maxwell, and I live in Northumberland in the United Kingdom, and my day job is a web developer, and part-time my job is a writer of crime fiction, yeah. predominantly. I've dabbled in various genres in the past, but that's what I do at the moment. And uh, Your recent yeah, book is me. The Dali Deception, right? That's the most recent one. The most recent one is... Uh, Come on, steal the noise. Oh, um, thank you. So the Kilchester scene is uh, Dali. This is it's not always going to get complicated. It was the Dali Deception was the first one, yeah. And then you consulted on Kill It With Fire, um, which yeah. was the second in the series. And then I started to write the third in the series, which is going to be called Get the Girl, Kill the Baddies. And right. I keep not finishing it. So now <laughs> I wrote last Christmas or the Christmas before I wrote Come On Steal the Noise, which was sort of like a side quest. Yeah. And then in lockdown I've written Lockdown and Lockdown, which is going to be coming out imminently. And that is going to be book four. Right. Uh, so that's so book four is coming out before book three. <laughs> is that right? Sorry? Book four is coming out before book three? Correct. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, I thought because uh, so is the, the Dali deception you just got a new hardback, right? Is that right? Sorry. The Dali deception you just got a brand new hardback out for. Yes, uh, it was the first time I've, I've had any of my books in hardback, so that is brand new. That's uh, that's why I thought it was the most recent. One. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So uh, uh, yeah. We how did we meet? We met through. What was it? How did we how did we get to know Ocean's Toolkit. Uh, I asked you and Luke to talk about Ocean's Eleven and then like the next week you did and so oh, you've been sort it... at my back and call since then, I believe. <laughs> yeah. Wait, it was that recent? I th- okay, because I knew we hadn't met at a seminar, but I didn't realise it was uh the, the toolkit that uh, put us in touch. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh yeah, uh so for those of you yeah, Adam is is a published author uh, of crime fiction. Um, so, uh, I thought we'd talk about first is, uh, you mentioned to me that when you started, you got some, uh, pretty bad reviews <laughs> and, and you well, quit. Mostly, mostly good reviews. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you meant, you specifically cited these bad reviews that, as you said, made you yeah. quit for two years. Yeah. I'd, uh, at the time, um, I did a creative writing masters mm. at Northumbria University and I was predominantly focused on flash fiction and short stories or short short stories at the time um, was what I liked writing. How, how short? I'd how short are we talking? I'm sorry you're breaking up there. Oh how short were, are we talking? How short were, were these um, Sort of anything from 300,000 words um, is the, the, the majority and that sort of length. Right. And then the short stories were probably about three, three thousand ish. So wow. it was kind of that was the ballpark for all of them. Yeah. And yeah, subsequently, I think I've realised this: there's this, a lot of effort goes into creating like one story world. So why waste, you know, five hundred words and all all the effort uh, for five hundred words? Well, it, I mean, it's <laughs> true though. I mean, that's. That into, I was saying that that's yeah, true. That's what happened with. Oh, I think yeah, I think we're slightly out of sync, mm-hmm. but that's okay. Uh, Conan Doyle famously he uh, he killed off Sherlock. Then he came up with the Hound of the Baskervilles, and instead of and he went, why why create a new detective when I can just use Sherlock again? So he just he just wrote it as like a prequel to to his to the Reichenbach novel, and just went, yeah, I'm using I'm using Sherlock again. Why why 
why spend all that effort creating something brand new for just one off when I've got this thing? Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. It was, well, I started when I moved away from that site. I moved to the, the Defective Detective, mm. um, and I've done. Uh, and it was this was at a point when um, pre Kindle, just minutely pre Kindle, but ebooks were sort of coming through, and uh, but only the sort of early adopters, I suppose, and there was various sites on the internet where you could, um, for free, hmm. you could share your um, your stories with people in various formats. And being, as I said, it was sort of way of the background, I, I've always tried to get my fiction onto stuff, digital stuff. I've always liked to sort of explore the possibilities of what I can do with that. And I'd... Because uh, you're a web developer, right? And, and it was... Yeah, yeah, that's mm. the day job, and yeah. um, and so I tried to sort of think about what I could do with that, and it, they would shift like thousands and thousands of copies, and right. it, mostly would be well received. And then I'd written. Uh, I was at the time I thought it was a good idea to use what I'd like to call found titles. Um, so it's just like other people's titles. So I had murder on the links. Right. And Cat Chaser, Cat Chaser was uh, Elmore Leonard, obviously. Yeah. And Cat Chaser was, uh, the conceit was that the defective detective is not a detective who has narcolepsy, and so he would fall asleep at the moment. So it's in yeah. narcolepsy is triggered by um, stressful situations. So having a sort of detective in a... <laughs> Like modern noir setting is yeah. always going to be stressful situation, so he's always falling asleep. I, I love that. I counter to this because obviously it's not, it's, it's a tragic and debilitating condition. So yeah. the way that the balance to that was always this he was always the cleverest one, he always solved it on his own, and he was always the one who did it under his own steam. But right. The, the the comedy or as the comedy of it was still there and it hopefully still works but you know I might revisit it in the in the or just unpublished them <laughs> and so Cat Chaser was he'd gone to his new detective agency mm. and he was given an assignment but he was so stressed when he was talking to the boss that he fell asleep during the assignment and all he knew is that he'd go to a department store and that was it right. and there was some sort of cat involved and the the because I sort of write humorous comic crime, if you like, mm. um, humorous crime, it was this, there was a tiger loose in the department store mm. and he was charged with sort of investigating who, where, what, and this sort of, it was, it was very silly, but it's sort of, it, within its own universe and its own context, <laughs> it's sort of, uh, hopefully it still works. Um, I, it's you know, I, it's, it's just pre-editor. I mean, this is the, I mean, we were talking a bit before I turned on the mic, but this is the first I've heard of this, and I, I think it's adorable. So I, I definitely want to try and get a copy of this from you so I could read it. But you, so you're te- you, you started yeah. to, <laughs> sorry, you were saying? Before I unpublish it, yeah. And that was, that <laughs> one I'm particularly proud of. And at that point, yeah. I, got a bad, I got my first really scathing review. Right. And, and I think, when the last point, I, Everybody had been really encouraging, even people. Mm. As I say, this was sort of before I was really taking it seriously as I do these days. This was pre editor, if you like. I would just proofread it myself and then I'll publish it when I was happy with it. But now, sorry, you, now you have an editor, editor, right? Sorry? Now you have an editor. Yes, yeah. Mm. Now I've got a sort of team of people and a, the process of doing things, which I'm sure we can. I'll, can tell you more about that yeah sure with the with this the, at this point sort of the pre pre darling i'm always sort of in two minds as to whether to, to, to publish it because being in india and, and the drop of a hat i could decide that i don't want it to be in print anymore but yes there's enough people do like them i've discovered my writing through them that i kind of think it's churlish of me to do that but there's, there's a part of it that's very vain and only wants the, the very best masterpieces to be out in the uh, world oh yes <laughs> So I, I kind of thought it will just leave. just forget about pretending to make this person, and I can't even I, I should have noted the review. <laughs> Life changing moment. This person was just like this is a piece of shit. Like this is the worst thing I've ever written, I've ever read, and and it really was like a good punch, right? Because I, like as I say, I've not really had a, a severe review. I just remember being kind of I lost I lost confidence in myself as a writer mm. and I lost I lost 
two, maybe two and a half years. I, I didn't really write anything. So what? When and this did, did what, coincide with. It sort of did, did coincide with. Um, I think it was when my daughter was very young. It's obviously when you have a young family. Mm. That's the sort of most parent-intensive time of. Um, yeah. Whereas at the moment, I'm sort of most ignored because she's a teenager. And she can do things <laughs> on her own steam. At that point. Um, I think the the confluence of all these things just made me stop for wow. yeah over two years. So, so when did you get the bad review? Do you remember what year it was? Um, I could probably look at it, but not off the top of my head. I'm hopeless with dates, so um, but no, I've got no idea. <laughs> well, okay, ballpark type, because you say you you were gone for about two and a half years, and then I presume that's when you started the series of books called the Kilchester Irregulars, right? They, that was next, yeah, right? The, 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 that was the next year. So I mean, Dali came out in twenty, um, five years, twenty sixteen. So it was probably a couple of years in gestation. So it's sort of that's okay. So we're talking about twenty twelve ish. Right, around that time, and then you stopped, and then you came, started writing again around 2014 ish. Worked on this book for about two years, 2016, and then that gets published. And so, so before we talk about the, the that period where you weren't writing, um, let's let's talk quickly about. So, you you went from your publishing random thing. Actually, you know, we'll get to this later. Well, let's talk about the period where you were. We'll, talk, we'll get to that bit later. So, you had people downloading your book, thousands, as you say. People were more or less positive, yeah, yeah. but there was one negative complaint, and that broke you for yes. two years. Just yeah, I don't know. In now, it's twenty twenty one. Adam yeah. looks back at that and thinks it, it's ridiculous, right? Because because now the if I go to, to a Goodreads, which I do occasionally, mm. and look at the reviews, some people like the books and some people don't like the books, and the majority do like them, and that's 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 exactly what you want. Yeah. But I think any any author who's looked at the reviews really needs to to look at um, something like Macbeth. Um, yeah. Which the good news about that is that my books score higher than Macbeth, so obviously I'm <laughs> better than she. <laughs> So enough people, enough people are, are reviewing classics and being really sort of unpleasant about them. That you kind of, you yeah, know, you can't take them that much to heart. But you did. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is not an uncommon. This is not an uncommon thing where someone uh, produces something and uh, negative criticism, and they just they stop writing, they stop making, they stop performing, mm-hmm. they stop drawing, whatever. That happens. Um, and so, and you. You took two years off, so so there's this. We, you were telling me there's this view uh, that people have of how when you're a writer, that it's a there's a badge of honor of in being not being able to do it. The this sort of tortured artist yes. type thing where people talk about the pain that they suffer and how hard it is for them to do it, as if the harder writing is for you, the better the writer you must be, right? Yes. And yeah. it's, I think it's, it's very, it's very true. Well, that, 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 uh, that yeah, people yeah. think like that. The, the, that's the way that people behave. I think the yeah. idea of sort of sitting in a French cafe mm. and not writing yes. and, that, and feeling bad, it makes you feel worse. But it's like, if you don't enjoy doing it, don't do it. Go away uh, and do something that you do enjoy. Exactly, yeah. And not only that, there's um there's a I found a, a really problematic um, psychological thing that happens when people listen to those people because they then think mm-hmm. that they have to be tortured and they have to write from a from suffering. And you yes. don't write; you write uh, sort of c- comedy crime, right? Uh, yeah, you've got that Douglas mm-hmm. Adams type not of vibe, much- right? Where it's it's somewhat serious what you're talking about. <laughs> Right, it's somewhat serious, but you're doing it in an absurd way that is quirky yes. and makes light of everything. Uh, you can't really do that if you are constantly telling yourself you have to write from a position of suffering, and then you force yourself mm-hmm. 
to be suffered and tortured all the time. That's not a particularly healthy way to be, <laughs> you know? And often these people who, by the way, say they're tortured artists, they are very privileged people. They are not, they are not starving. They are not, you know. So I think that that is that is a position that you do you do end up with where I I never really thought about the, the money aspect of it, but I like everybody who is a, a writer who isn't from a privileged background. I mean, I'm I'm from a sort of lower middle class or working class background in the northeast, and I don't think that the at no point did I think I'm going to go and have a job as a writer. Right. Um, but each month I make more money. From writing than I did the, the month before, and that, that's, that's nice. And one day, hopefully, there'll be a tipping point. Yeah. But I think with um with the thing with the comedy for me mm. is this um you can't you can't be the tortured person and do the comedy. And I think if I'd been successful as a writer when I sort of I've been writing forever, mm. like most writers, and, and when I was a teenager, I was very angsty, like most human yeah. beings. And I think. At the, the teenage level, often people get into that teenage poetry and woe is me and yes. the universe doesn't understand me. And I think I think I never re- that never really sat that well. But if I'd ever been successful at that, I would have had to find a way of manufacturing that mm. pain. And I think yeah. most people, because it's difficult to write, mm. can sort of sit and, and revel in that if they're not careful. And I think yeah. it's, it's not healthy. For a writer, it's not healthy for a human being. But the idea of sort of, I, I I'm a writer who can't. I have writer's block, and uh, right. I think this is what I was saying to you, and that you don't get plumbers who have plumbers block. <laughs> they come and they do a job, and if you somebody came and said to you, I've got plumbers block, yeah. then you go, well, get out. I'm gonna get a plumber who can do the job. But <laughs> well, I mean, I have a particular, uh, I have a problem with that analogy, but. Uh, there is, I, I think, that's I know, but people take that seriously. Uh, I've, I've seen professionals actually stand up and use that as an example of how people who suffer writer's block are basically, uh, I, I don't even need to hide names, Warren Ellis, who has turned out to be quite a nasty piece of work. Uh, he, was, he was giving a talk in uh, Charlotte, I think it was here, no, it was Chicago. It was the Chicago Wizard World Con in like 2008. And someone asked him about writer's block, and he goes, I don't get writer's block. Writers don't get writer's block. Real writers don't. And he did that whole macho posturing crap. And it's the, the, the thing that I, I latched onto when, you, when we were talking about this, uh, about what we were going to talk about today, is this phrase that it's a badge of honor to not be able to produce work. Because obviously people, some people need to write, and it's cathartic to get pain out of their system, right? There's nothing wrong with writing yeah. from a position of suffering. Like neither one of us would suggest that's a problem, you know. But it's it's specifically it's this idea that your suffering is somehow a badge of honor in that it impedes your ability to create. Because people who use writing cathartically don't talk about their pain in that way. Because they're they're getting through their pain through their art. But there are people who just sort of like wallow in it and as you say, they have this badge of honor, right? Which is which is the problem. Um, and this counterpoint then that arises is, well, writers write, and you know, plumbers don't get plumbers blocked. But my response to that is, a plumber has something to fix. He doesn't have to create an entire toilet out of nothing, without knowing what the toilet is going to look like before he starts. <laughs> Adams and not to, to a toilet. Sorry, say that again. <laughs> I like it better when you compare me to Douglas Adams and not a toilet. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's it's true. I mean, for example, when when Douglas Adams famous his next book as well. Like he he literally um, was would be locked in rooms yeah. to finish books. Yeah, uh, he really struggled with the process of of finishing things. Yeah. But I think for him, it was too many ideas as opposed to yeah. uh, too few ideas. That, that, yeah, that's very true. And um, it, it's it's one of those things where um, the, the, this idea that just like, it, for, for example, when someone asks me, like when you did and you asked me to consult on something, it would be very wrong of me to go, I'm sorry, 
I'm just not in the mood to consult and all that stuff, right? Because in that regard, yeah, I am the plumber. I've come in and I'm going to diagnose and fix the problem, right? But if someone is creating something new, I think you're allowed to go, well, today the creativity isn't uh, coming. But there's a problem, as you say, when people are proud of that. Mm. It's, it is, it's hard. And I think what people don't realise is how you get how you get past it. And I don't think, I'm thinking about it now. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not 100% conscious of how it happened, but I've got, I've now got like a shelf of books that I've written. I've actually, I'm right. not sure how many it is. Right. So there's quite, I think I wrote a, a bunch of kids' books and this sort of thing. But mm. the, the point for me when I got past this, yeah. I'd sort of, the, the defective detective felt like something that I, I wasn't sure. I kind of was looking at myself as a writer, but is that all you can do? Just a stupid story, right? A, a, a stupid old crime story that, that is funny and just—it's never going to change the world. Is that it? Is that is that the extent of your talent? That one character, uh-huh. and so I sort of thought, well, I'll I'll write this. Um, I'll write something new, and mm. it, it was always going to be funny mm. in some extent. And I think the the difference with the sort of thing that I right as opposed to uh Douglas Adams for example. I, I mean firstly I have nowhere near talent of Douglas Adams. <laughs> but uh, the one of the things that I uh, think it's got in common is the the uh, the detective for example the gentleman's holistic detective agency. Yeah. Like that's tonally I like that when I was when I was putting it together in my head. Right, of course. But if a if a gun is pulled in a Kilchester novel, then there's going to be somebody's going to get shot. Right. There isn't. There isn't. There's a level of threat. Yes. Where um, it, it, it's there's blood on the pages, not literally. Obviously, <laughs> but there's blood on the pages. Yeah. And I think you, you end up in a situation where uh, I think what a lot of writers maybe don't acknowledge is this: there's as much world building in. Uh, crime or in romance as yes. there is in fantasy. Of course you've, is, got to, yes. you've got to build that world. You have. And I think in my world it is it's always going to be have the funny aspect. It's always going to have the funny characters and the funny mm. lines and the, the snappy dialogue if you like yeah. if you can get it right. And the, the stupid metaphors and similes that I love those sort <laughs> of clunky Wodehousian um right. abuses of like and the run on sentences with comma after comma after <laughs> editors just love so much. <laughs> those those sorts of things are they're all going to be in there. But if there's if there's violence, then it's going to be that's going to be part of it as well because the, this you find that balance and you find that voice. And I I began to look at heists because mm. I think that was one of the things that, that I thought was interesting in uh, when you talked about Ocean Eleven with Luke on Story Took. It was the idea of sort of the Heist being like the opposite of a detective story with the yeah. criminal hiding the clues. Right, and, exactly. Yeah, that's it. For me, for me, sort of understand this. I'd written uh, the first book already before I heard that. So a lot of it, you kind of you're not you're putting it together from the tools that you have, and part of that of is the likes of obviously Ocean's Eleven, yes. uh, which is a massive influence in all heist stories these days. But you've also got Elmore Lennon, you've got yes. Tom Wesley, you've got a lot of writers who do that kind of thing, and and less pure versions of it as well. Well, I mean, uh, just, one of the things that I'm oh, sorry, no, no. one of the things that I'd done uh, was to try and come up with what's the stereotype of it mm. and what are the expectations of it? And then, because I was so lacking in confidence that I would put together other characters. And I, I think we were talking before about um, the TV Tropes website, right, yeah, so yeah. sort of looking at that yeah. and going, like, what's the worst recipe yeah, for what's the, what's uh, the, a heist? What's the worst recipe? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you, so what you would do is, because I'm interested in this, so there was a period where you're not writing at all, okay? And you are essentially doing what annoys you now, which is you are sort of indulging in this sense of I can't write and I feel bad and all that stuff. And rather than channeling that into your writing, you used it as an excuse not to produce. And then something changed and you you said that you asked yourself, is this all I can do? So like you wanted to prove you could do something else, right? 
And then you went out and you started doing your research because you said you had a lack of confidence and you then would just invert what you could find and then you would start producing. So how then did you, as you're generating this material, as you say, you're gestating, I think it was the Dali deception now, you're gestating the Dali deception. Yeah. How does that then transition into this situation where you are now, which is you have a team of editors or something? You mentioned you have a team. So how, how did you cobble together this team um, from a position where you're not writing at all, you've given up to, I now have a team of people who are actively like proofreading my work before I publish it. Well, do you abuse people's goodwill <laughs> on an industrial scale? <laughs> Initially, that's the, that's the best advice. That you, so I, you sort of you, you think about who has what I do, and because at the beginning uh, with Dali, mm. um, the uh, had a lot of sort of um, initial readers um, mm. who would give me feedback on yes. the book as a whole. Um, right. So Matt, uh, who I went to university with. Yeah. He went through Dali, and the first thing he said was the time scales are all off because you keep like this happened to this point, and then this happens like five minutes later, or is it two weeks later? Like you need it to to get that to work. So I'm then sort of making diagrams of where chapters are and, and what. Cause it, it never occurred to us mm. um, to get that right before the right. tenth minute. It was more about. It, it, a lot of ideas for me come from the very first spark of idea is well that'd be funny uh, yeah. it'd be funny if that happened and so the the spark of the idea for this one outside of the team itself was um they're still in a blank canvas that was um signed by salvador dali that's very um, metaphorical because this was a, <laughs> this was the thing well yeah the <laughs> art is the play art is about a blank canvas and I've, that's it i saw that yeah thing but yeah it, well the the, good, the the salvador dali one was, was like a real uh, a real thing because um so i was originally going to call the dali deception of vida dollars <laughs> which was uh, an anagram of salvador dali that the breton i think it was it, it named him which means greed for dollars wow because he, he, this one was a sellout at that point and it's, it's, there was a point when dali was um sign, signing canvases signing blank um sheets of paper <laughs> and he would hold his pencil just above the desk and he had an assistant on his left and an assistant on his right and they would slide a paper and then he'd sign it and they would slide out and he would do that because he worked out that he could make more money selling these blank pieces of paper with his signature on them if he put all the effort into it and it, he was him and his partner were once asked if he was shown a, a, a piece of artwork and yeah. they said do, is this one of yours He's one of the few artists who doesn't have a sort of a, a catalogue in the same way that other uh, artists right. do. And uh, he, uh, his partner had said, uh, was he paid for it? Because if, if he was, then yes. And if he wasn't, then no. And that was, <laughs> so there are some that are in dispute as to whether they actually were done by oh, Dali or not because of, of this process, this thing that he did. Yeah. The problem with that when I was writing was, but then it's not like a, they're not as valuable as a result as sure. as what you what you need, but that's where the fiction comes in. So I was like, well, what could make what would be the one that would be different? And mm -hmm. I just fictionalise that element of it and, and sure. go down that route. But that sort of that first idea of wouldn't it be funny if they were still in a blank canvas? Yes. Then you've got to do you've got to do the proper writing after that. But what what cha what changed? Because what you must have had other ideas. Why? did this idea did you think i can use this what, what what happened in your mindset that was just i can i'm gonna write and i'm gonna get people like i i you seem to your editor is a friend right yeah um james did uh, the masters with me at the time and um and now he's my editor editor and um, I, I mean i presume he gets paid based on publications yes. right he gets paid now so i mean that, that there's a there's a massive mind shift here that, like and a lot of people are gonna uh, more people are gonna be trapped at the front end of this story than they are at the end right so how did what you know what was this well 
I think what's happened was it, the, the movement for me was that what's, uh, what was happening while I was not writing mm. was this the Kindle was launched mm. and uh, and a lot of sort of indie publishers who were putting stuff out and the bar at Envy was so low that anybody could put anything out and at that point mm. when I wasn't writing or putting anything out people were publishing anything that was selling by the truckload right and so once it became more difficult to sell and people were starting to become more discerning and realize that we needed a quality control mechanism at that point when it was much more difficult to make money out of it that was the point where i thought you know what i should start publishing things again because i'm um, clearly i've missed the boat because the, there's two ways that i tend to miss the boat one of them is by actually missing the boat and the other one is because i'm uh, involved in technology in my day job is that i'll try something i, I did I did a podcast um, a lot, maybe 2004, mm. uh, where I was reading my short stories and the short, short stories that I mentioned before. And I won a sort of regional award for it. And I stopped doing it because nobody's, nobody's listening to podcasts. It's never going to really happen. Like, there's no <laughs> point in doing podcasts. Right. And so I stopped doing it. Like, three years later, what happens? Mm. Everybody has a podcast. And, right. I mean, I, nowadays, I'm not sure that that. that podcast would work for what I'm doing now but sure. it's, it's, it's either I miss the boat or, or I deliberately get off the boat before it sets off like those are my two years of missing boats but there's something interesting you mentioned but once the, sorry go on finish your thought you know, once the Kindle um, thing it was it was an option and uh, I realised that you could potentially it's obviously now you can do not just Kindle there it was Kobo and there's all mm. sorts of different platforms but the, you see Amazon because it, it is much more ubiquitous but you can get Right. Um, I mean, I've got paperbacks of all of my books. I've got the hardback of Darley's the first hardback. I'm going to do hardbacks of, of all of the ones going forward. And there's even audio books of Darley and Kill It With Fire um, that, uh, that Rose does. R.J. Aldred is marvellous as Violet and all through. Mm-hmm. So there are options that are not necessarily mainstream. And t- to go down that route, it became obvious, more obvious as I was going forward that I needed I needed to up my game if I was going to be able to uh, to make money from it and to, to to produce something that was of a high enough quality because I didn't just want to piss it out. Really, yeah, but you, want to, you want to make it as good as you can make it. That's really interesting uh, because I think there's that big. Go on, go on. Go on. I, I think it is. It's quite a difficult um, point when you reach when you sort of realise this. You will be more indulgent of what you've written. Because if nobody's telling you they're not to be indulgent about us, um, like the other, the, I'm currently editing the next one, lockdown and lockdown. Uh, the wouldn't it be funny if they did a heist and that had to be social distance was the beginnings of that one. And that uh, there was a point yesterday when I was editing it and I was laughing, and my wife walked past and she said, "Oh, what are you laughing at?" And I said, "My own jokes." <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's, I'm, I'm just laughing at my own joke. Oh, There's definitely something good. funny in, in <laughs> so, like, you have the heist and you've clearly got a pickpocket type character and yet there's social distancing and they're like, well, I'm out of work until until this quarantine thing is over. Because how am I, I can't get close enough to pickpocket anyone. How I can't, my entire trade is done. Like, we were joking about when it started, how burglars now, what are they going to do? They can't break into people's houses, <laughs> you know, so everyone's in all the time. What are they going to do? There's definitely, there's something funny about criminals not being able to, you know, ply their trade because of what to happen. But uh, what I found interesting, you mentioned that when it got harder, you found your, 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 it kind of prompted you to try again when it got harder, not when it was easier, yeah. which... I, I didn't that, realize it was harder when I started. But it's interesting <laughs> that like the challenge is something that sort of got you out of the funk. That that's this you mentioned earlier. You said mm. like you wanted to prove. Can I do more than that? So there's this sense of just like that's, you know that you wanted to. Uh, I think because I wasn't sure if uh, if I would, if I could write a novel mm. um, because I'd written so many short pieces. Right, and with. And the novel came along at that point when I was writing Darling, that sort of made the decision. Uh, it wasn't the Kindle stuff until after after this, actually. 
it's I made the decision that, that this was the one I was going to write it as a novel, and mm. when I'd finished it, I was going to send it to agents and publishers, and mm. I was going to go the traditional route, which is totally an option. Several white friends of mine have gone down that route and have done really well with it. It's just there are choices for everybody these days, yeah. And that's um, the, the I started sending um, the first few chapters to agents mm. with a view to to potentially try it. Because obviously, still, you, you kind of think, um, oh, well, my genius will be discovered, even if I haven't finished stuff, you know. Right. So, so I was following agents on Twitter, and I was, uh, and I was um, following publishing places. There was, there's always been a part of me that, uh, that likes the idea of um, uh, international. I, don't, I think in terms of markets, um, mm. the, the British UK market is relatively small. In fact, you sell 1% in America, mm. that's a hell of a lot more copies than 1% in the UK, but sure. 1% in both even better. Right. And so you sort of, there was this idea that internationally was an option as well as nationally. And there was a publisher in the US and the, the commission in Edward put out this tweet um, that agents, um, it, uh, this is what I'm looking for. And one of the things he said was Elmore Leonard. And, ah. um, and I sort of thought, I'm, you know, funny crime, yeah. I could fit. But um, I'm not an agent. I, I, I'm also very British in some respects. I don't want to sort of put people in a, in a position. Yeah. And so I'd, I, I, but I'd, had a gin and tonic, and so I thought to myself, well, rather than to tweet at him, well, I, I won't like that. And I, thought, I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll just send him an email personally and say, apologies if this is not appropriate, but mm. uh, this is how this is the sort of thing I like. If, if you're interested, mm. um, let me know. If not, just ignore us and, and I'll go in to bury myself in the garden. And uh, he, he, obviously, at this point, I then had several more gin and tonics and then went to bed and then woke up at six o'clock in the morning and got the little one out of bed and you know, yeah. I can't remember how old she was at the time, but got her to school, did the whole, came back to the office to do my day's work. And he'd emailed me back like 20 minutes later to say, that sounds like exactly the sort of thing that we're interested in. Yeah. Um, send me an outline. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, I'll do that. And so at this point, uh, I, I'm sort of sending it to James, my, my now editor. Um, sending it to James. Did this? Yeah. What's what's now? Like, what does it even look like? I'll just I'll write down what happens in the book. That's, so I sort of did that and sent them that. And then it, it, time differences aside, sort of half an hour after you woke up, yeah, I'd like to see the first two chapters. And it's like every time it's like, oh shit, because I've only written about twelve chapters <laughs> at this point. And I feel like I'm wildly misrepresenting myself. I haven't really edit, edited edit them in a way that I would publish them. But I sort of thought, right, okay, so we're, we're like polishing the shit out of these chaps and trying to get it. And I'd sent them to him. And uh, and again, sort of like in the time it took him to read them, he came back like that and was like, I'm, yeah, I'm interested. Uh, I'd like to see the rest of the book. At which point I went, ah, yes. <laughs> well, Oh, that. <laughs> Just one more thing. Now, now we enter into the uh, the Fraser type farce situation. <laughs> yes. So that's great. Obviously, just. Um... But I came clean immediately. Is what, what, I mean, how interested he actually was, I might be over overplaying. This is how interested he felt to me. Sure. But obviously, I don't know how interested he really was. And ultimately, he didn't like this. Didn't get published by him, but. I, uh, I did, um, I came clean immediately and I said, I would never have contacted you this early had it not been for your tweet. At this point, I have written this much to do. Mm. Um, this is where we are. And he came back and said, well, I'm definitely interested in seeing it. Finish it, get it to the point that you're happy with it, and then send it to nice, me. Nice. And at that point, I've got a fire under me because it's like somebody right. wants it. Someone, you're right, and yes. Now it's just like, now it feels like when I'm writing and stuff, somebody wants it because I know there's a market out there for it. And I think for new writers, yeah. there isn't, like, look up Chuck Tingle, there is a market for everything. But, <laughs> there is literally a market for everything. I think that's really, I think that's something because um, I think, I think the way you describe that, 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 the way that that shifted in your head, there is definitely the sense of like, when you were writing just for yourself, you become, you became very indulgent of yourself. And uh, the reason you didn't write was because it was too easy, not because it was too hard, right? 
And so this whole process of like, I'm not good enough, I'm tortured, all that sort of badge of honor stuff that we talked about earlier is actually just a way to distance yourself from the fact that the work is, you know, you don't really respect what it is you're even doing because it's a bit too easy. And then as soon as a challenge comes along and then as when someone else starts taking interest in your work, you stop focusing just on yourself and you start focusing on the work and your audience and you're paying attention to those things. And it, it starts cultivating within you this sense of like, I, this is what I do now. And it's not just all about me. Um, the ego sort of dissipates, which I think is, is good. So we're going to wrap up. That's great. I think that pushed me into finishing the novel. Um, and by the time I finished the, the novel, um, the first draft, mm. Obviously, what I wanted to do is when I take the end was to email him at, at that point. Of course, proofreading. Of course, of course. Yeah, just send it. <laughs> just be done. <laughs> but I, obviously, what I did do yeah. is I sort of went, I, I, I want to gauge if he's still interested or, or not, and so I sort of I sent an email to say, it's I don't know if you remember me, you know, proper yeah. you know, little give, give me attention sort of email. <laughs> I, I don't know if you remember, but. I finished it. Uh, I'm going to do some some editing classes mm. on it. Uh, just wondered if you were if you did still want it or not. And like, oh yeah, of course I still remember you. Yes, I'm interested. And about halfway through the editing class on that, mm. um, the publisher uh, was closed down by its. Um, it was a subsidiary and it was closed down. So he uh. lost his job. There were authors on Twitter who were like, I had a two week deal and it's gone. And it may never have come about. He might have read it and just gone. No, sure. it's not but I'd, I, I got something really good out of that, even yeah. if uh, even if he lost his job. I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> but the process started right, like you're, the, the the momentum's there now, and so you just didn't stop. So was it. so now we're going to wrap after up. After that, gone. Sorry, finish. And after that, that that was when I'd sort of sent it to to agents and um, with a view because now it's sort of it's finished. Right. In, in as much as it's finished as a as a tradition, probably as finished as a traditionally published uh, aspirational author would need it to be yeah. in order to get an agent. And part of part of me as a writer is I'm very lazy, and so I'd sort of I'd chosen two or three agents who I thought were potentially um, a good fit and yeah. had lists that had my sort of book on. Uh, also, I thought, and I, one of them I sent it to, and the the. She, she, she was really, really nice, and she came back really quickly. Uh, but what she said was, "This sort of fiction doesn't sell." Really, and and this is both completely true and completely untrue <laughs> at the same time. Because what what she means, and she is correct about, is that in mainstream in Waterstones, comic crime is not something that a major publisher could put out there and make a bestseller out of right as far as they're concerned the return on investment there's not enough interest in that to make the kind of money that you would need to make to do that however what she's not saying is nobody reads it and nobody likes it because that's not that's right true and there's a, there's a huge market for it yeah uh, but finding your audience is a whole different conversation so, but it made me sort of think at that point uh, I, maybe this really isn't for me because i know i want to read more stuff like this yes. and, I, and that's one of the reasons i wrote it was because nobody's writing it um, I'm with you on that. so i kind of it moved me more towards the independent routes as a result of these kind of conversations yeah. it was one of the only two things but <laughs> <laughs> well so i mean we're going to wrap up now and i just thought to end on um what it what looking forward right you you you're currently your day job is a web developer but you want to you, you told me you wanted to transition completely into professional writing so what yes. is your game plan going forward like someone in your position now you've managed to get yourself published repeatedly you are making money out of it you are able to that money is enough to pay for someone to edit your work so the next step is you want to make even more money so you can quit your day job and become a full-time professional writer what is your game plan looking like going forward one of the things that i think is uh there's a million different ways of doing this and there's no right way mm, one of okay. the, the way that i've sort of committed to i think is people like series fiction but like a series of books with a character um right. be that you know the classics like Poirot or uh 
the Game of Thrones, even, you know, if he ever finishes yeah. the, the book. Is the, 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 people like series and they like returning characters, and I like series and returning characters. And there's much more, it's a much easier sell to say to people, read the Dali Deception, and then when they get to the end of that, read book two, read book three, right. read book four. And so there's a higher sort of uh, chance of making money from it by doing a series of books. But I think yeah. there's, you have two hats on. That's the that's the business hat to them. But actually, right. that only came after I fell in love with the characters. No, but, and but, it, it's, to but it's, it's a wonderful idea, actually. This idea that you, if you build enough of a library of, of your of your world, that eventually that library will start to so, like every additional book in the series makes the whole series worth more money. And eventually, if it can just keep growing in popularity and through size then there'll be a bigger audience that will start to cultivate and people that longevity the audiences will get the momentum that you have for writing your books and that's actually a really wonderful idea yeah. <laughs> i think it's really I think good it. i think well finding an audience finding like-minded people is not as difficult as mm. as you think because one of the things that i read i've read a fact somewhere i'm going to misquote it and get it wrong but uh pink floyd's dark side of the moon mm. it was on the billboard us top 100 for like I think it was 14 years. Sure. And that's not the same people playing over. This is a, a no. sort of prog rock, not a mainstream genre. Sure, sure. You know? And there's, there's, if there's enough people to buy that and keep it in there for 14 years, there's enough to make, get me to make a living, you know, <laughs> as a hack writer writing <laughs> stupid jokes. That's great. People shoot each other and hit each other. So it, it does fit. But I think that's. Feeding in this, uh, the more sort of serialized uh, television that you watch, the more you, you find out about sort of arc plots. And there's a, yeah. there's a lot of um, of technical things that I, I like um, to thread into what I'm doing. But ultimately, I think each you could pick up any one of these books in any order and, and enjoy it. Hmm. If you read them in sort of the right order, in inverted commas, then you probably get more out of it. But even if you read them in completely the wrong order, there'll be enough rewarding yes. um, connections for it not for it not to be wasted on you, which is yes. just as well because I think, as I was saying to you, I'm now about to put out book four in the series, and I haven't <laughs> finished book three yet. So. <laughs> it's fine; that could work. But, but that, yeah, that's a whole other that's a whole other story. But I think that is my plan is to sort of move into one of the things when you when you're doing it. Uh, indie hmm. is that you you have to do all the marketing yourself. You have yes. to do everything, like all the, all the editing yourself. I mean, I know I've I've got um, Elaine and Sam who both do phenomenal proofreading work for hmm. me, and Matt, as I said, Matt edited James. All the, these people are, are sort of having an input on what I do, and uh, and my friend Michael has sort of hammer out plots with, and, and you you talk to your friends and you you build the stories. Yeah. until you're happy with it and then you start writing into all of these things happen to a point and then it has to go out in the world and you have to then do some of the business things so uh, as, as an indie i'm sort of i've got the website i've got the mailing list i've got the facebook group of uh, the private facebook group for people who really like like it and there's a lot of interaction there and you can do videos and what have you but you also got to think about things like advertising like how to learn how to do amazon right. ads and Facebook ads yeah. and it's it, it, it's boring. It's really boring to have those, those elements and it does take you away from the actual process of, of writing, writing, yeah. but it, ultimately it is going to be part of it and it's well, part of yeah, you've got to accept if you can go down that route because you're not going to have a team of people throwing money at you, but yeah. you're going to have much more freedom. I literally, like with the book four, book three thing, I wrote book one and book two. And then I wrote 80,000 words of book three and it wasn't finished. Wow. And I realized I was going to have to fix some elements of it before I went yeah. further. And I couldn't really be bothered. That's probably the truth of it. Yeah. And so I wrote a short, um, like a side quest almost, to come on Steel the Noise. Mm. And then lockdown happened. And I thought, oh, I'll write another short. The short story was supposed to be 8,000 words. It's mm. going to be published at 50,000 words. <laughs> so it's like, that's a proper book. A book book now, yeah. so that's a thing. But the it doesn't matter. I think my sort of logic is either small enough like me, where and because you're writing in a series where 
the character development is like I say, you can read it in, in any order to yeah. a point, but there's not, not going to be anything spoilery enough in book four sure. going to mean that book three can't be read. Exactly. But there's two things in it that I've taken from the end of book three as it's plotted and sort of went, that's going to continue from there. So yeah. being as small as I am, nobody cares. Right. Like, there's not enough people who are going to go, well, that's not right. You did book three before book four. Yeah. Like, nobody cares. But if I was massive and I was a Neil Gaiman or George R. R. Martin, yeah. I would just say, well, I know best. I am the master because I have to say, everybody go, he's so wise. <laughs> so either way, you can just decide to do what you like. Yeah. And yeah. then, yeah. But it's got to be professional. You can't, you can't just put out any old crap. No, that's, the, that's true. The unfortunate thing. Well, well, this has been great. Thank you, Adam. Um, tell people how they can get in contact with you on Twitter. This, that's probably the easiest way. Well, it's up to you, in fact. <laughs> well, probably, probably the, the, the easiest thing is my website, adammaxwell.com. And uh, I, beyond beyond that, it's got all the normal social media things. My my, my Twitter handle is I say it's Adam, um, which I should probably change because it's terrible. It's supposed to be like a bloody Worcester joke. <laughs> no, it's fine. So I, I say, say it's Adam. Adam. Oh, but no, it's fine. Because, yeah, yeah, it's all good. Uh, so that's thank you very much, Adam. Um, and uh, ho hopefully we will do this again at some point down the road. Um, we can see where you've got to, and hopefully you'll be you'll have your wonderful franchise all built. <laughs> I'm, I'm rooting for it. I hope so. All right, thank you very much, and uh, uh, we'll see you where we see. Thank you for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Basim Story, and other ways to find and support this podcast can be found in this episode's description. Jazakallah. <laughs>